Well, I hope a few of you that are sending your kids down there come back. <laughs> it takes a lot of workers to wrangle those kids. <laughs> well, let's just take a moment. Father, right now we come before you. We're about to open your word. Holy Spirit, you do your work. You show us your word. You unpack the word for us. You show us what it means. You, you give us excitement and hope and a confidence. We thank you that you show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance. You lead us in ways that we can glorify God. And you lead us in your paths of peace. And so we release that over this word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing? You guys been having a great week? Well, if it hasn't been a good week, well, you can change right now and set the tone for the next week, That's right. right? That's right? Doesn't have to stay that way. You know, you get very few choices in your life and your attitude is one of them. You know, you can't control what everybody else does, but you can control what you do and how you respond. And right now we're going to respond to the word of God. Yes. Now, two weeks ago, we finished up our series on uh, grace and we're, we're doing a message on growing in our awareness of God's grace. You know, people are always like, well, how do I grow in the grace of God? It's not really that we grow in quantity, but we grow in our awareness of it and our understanding of how to access it and use it. And so we were talking about the five ways that the Bible says that we can grow in that awareness or grow in our usage. And the first one was faith. And that shouldn't surprise us because it says whatever is not of faith is sin or is not of God. It's missing the mark. Everything that we do should be by faith. And so Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So by faith, you can access the grace God has already given you. It says the grace in which you stand. And so we can be standing in an ocean of grace, or I guess more like drowning in an ocean of grace, and not using it. And so by faith, we can say, God, I receive your grace for today. I thank you for the opportunities and the things that you have already done for me. We put so much pressure on ourselves. I got to do this. I got to do that. Why don't we let God do some of those things for us? Why don't we just rest back in his grace by faith? The second way that we grow in grace is through humility. Now, that's not piety or false piety. I should say, oh, I'm such a worm. God, you're just so great, and I'm just so insignificant. God does not think you're insignificant. He thinks the world of you. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And so our humility is our understanding that God is greater than we are. And James 4, 6 says he gives more grace... Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I love that. Anytime I want to get with God, guess what? At every step that I take, he's already right there drawing near to me. But it says that he resists the proud. And it says that also in the Bible that pride comes before a fall. And what pride is, is basically saying, I don't need you, God. I don't need your stuff. I can do it myself. And I love the quote that I gave you from D.L. Moody. It says, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. So even when you think you can do it, God's grace can make you do it better. 
The ability that he gives you can cause you to do a better job, even if you're an expert. You can cut even better. And the whole process is never stop learning, right? Everything in our life, we should never stop learning. And when it comes to the things of God, we should never stop learning of how to stop and say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts higher than my thoughts. Is there a better way I can do this? Is there a better way that you want to lead me? Because I'm pretty used to running this route. Is there a more efficient way? You know, I was listening to a message years and years ago. It's got to be 15 plus years ago now. Uh, and the, the, the guy was a golfer. And he was saying most people's thought when they get on the putting green is that I need to shoot towards the hole. He said, but what you got to do is you got to learn to read the green. If you've got a slope going on, you may have to putt over here in order to get the ball over here. And so we often think, this is where I need to go, but God has the wisdom to say, actually, you need to go this way. And so humility is us coming to the understanding that God always knows best, even if you know lots. And so one of the ways we grow in grace is by realizing that. God, you're better, you're bigger, and I'll follow you instead. Third way was boldness. And this is where a lot of Christians today just lack boldness. It says the righteous are as bold as the lion, but when we look at the body of Christ as a whole, they're a bunch of weak, pathetic, like, oh my goodness, just get up and have a backbone. God's given you one. It says, let us come boldly before the throne of a gracious God, our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. If you, it doesn't matter what situation you're going through, the place to go is God, the throne of grace. And it says, come boldly. And I always think of children when I think of this. They don't, is it okay if I come in? Is this a bad time? I'm not really sure. Should I, should I be in there with you? My kids don't do that. They boot the door open and you're like, oh my goodness, can I just have a minute to go to the bathroom, Harrison? You know, the kids, they don't care what's going on. They're like, I want to be with daddy. And God's kids should be the same way. Kick the door down and walk in. He's not going to be like, I can't do you right now. No, he goes, kid, come here. And so we need to have boldness. Just approach God, and there we find the grace we need in that situation. The fourth way the Bible says to grow in grace is love. The perfect law of love. You know, the Bible says that there's always will be hope, faith, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love, says, covers a multitude of sins. Means it will make you look different at other people. You know, we, we always want people to forgive us, but we're not always willing to forgive others. And the Bible says, why don't you take the plank out of your own eye before trying to take the sliver out of your neighbor's? And so love will cause you to look different and it will cause you to walk in grace in ways you didn't think about before. Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with, all of, be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love, which tells us it's not our love because we know that our love is corruptible, right? We know that our love fails. He's asking us to love others with His love. And Romans 5.5 5 says that he's poured his love into, in abundance into our heart. You have the ability to love those around you even when you want to hate them. I already talked about St. Patrick. He went 
to those who enslaved him, to those who tortured him, beat him, and misused them and said, God still loves you and so I will too, and changed a nation. The fifth way, though, was the knowledge of God. In 1 Peter, 2 Peter, sorry, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace, and everyone say this word with me, multiply. Every other one of the four types of the four or the five that we've covered so far have to do with accessing what is there or adding to it. But this one uses the word multiplied. Why? Because God is not bound to just simple, here's one more, here's one more, here's one more. When you use his grace, he's like, here's 10 more, here's 100 more, here's 1,000 more. And you will find the more you use grace, the more you will find yourself standing in grace. But he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So the thing that multiplies grace in our life is the more we know about God, the more grace you'll be able to walk in. Because you can't trust what you don't know. You can't walk in what you don't know. If you asked me to lead you by compass through a forest to something on the other side, I can't do that. I don't know how to follow a map. I don't know how to do compass. I didn't take orienteering. Now, if we had GPS, hey, that's great. Turn left at the next tree. That's great. We could do that. So if we were on an expedition trip, you don't want to follow me because I don't know where I'm going. But when you know God, you don't have to worry about when the next turn is or where you need to be going. You know and trust in Him, grace is multiplied to you. I love the Passion Translation of this. It says, may grace and perfect peace cascade over us as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Hosea the prophet prophesied and said, my people, this is God speaking to his people, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we've probably all heard the this, this statement before, what you don't know can't hurt you. Actually, that is very, very wrong. What you don't know can very much be hurting you. If you don't know about God's healing power and you're sick, that's very much hurting you. If you don't know of God's provision and how much he wants to bless you and you're broke, that's hurting you. If you're living in, a, in an emotional ball of hurt, you need to know about God's healing in your emotions. What you don't know can definitely hurt you. We've also heard this statement, ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. No, it isn't. Not even close. Who comes up with these stupid statements? It says, my people are destroyed. They are torn apart. They're picked apart. They're broken down. They are hurt for their lack of knowledge. So when you know God, you can just rest knowing like, oh, wait, I, my God would never do that to me. If I hear some of the stupid things that Christians say about God, oh, God is just making me sick to teach me. No, he's not. Where in the Bible does he say that? That's right, yeah. It says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no shadow of turning. We need to let go of religion because religion is trying to kill you. Religion is the devil's answer to God's righteousness and grace. 
It tries to make you go through the motions. It tries to break you down. It tries to make you feel like you're unworthy. And everything about God will build you up. It'll give you a purpose. It'll give you a future. It'll give you a hope. Amen. The more you know about God, the more you can walk in. If you don't know what he's given you, you'll never walk in it. Thank you for that. That's right. I appreciate that, Mitch. Come on. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, 8. He says, Yet I, indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection. Paul said, everything else I could know, everything else I could do, I put it in the trash pile, because knowing God is better. Knowing God, knowing about Him, knowing His character, knowing about how much He loves you, and how much He's working on your behalf, is much better than everything else. So when we talk about the knowledge of God, there's different ways that we can approach it. There's simply knowing about God. And there are lots of people that know about God, right? They may have grown up in churches, but they don't know about His power. They don't know about what He's done for you. They don't know the joy that can come through, through experiencing and walking in the things He's prepared. So there's simple knowledge about simply knowing about something. But you know, knowing about God didn't save you, right? It wasn't until you put faith and began to speak out and say, God, I receive you as my Lord, that you were saved. So knowing about something doesn't necessarily help you. You need to be able to place faith in it and walk into it. There's also knowing about his character and his attributes, which is where we're probably going to go next week. We need to understand what his character is. Why? Because you don't follow people of weak character, right? There's some people I wouldn't trust to lead a two-flea circus. And God is not one of those people. He is an, of absolute character. He is a strong in everything that he does. He is intelligent. He is trustworthy. He is loving. He is kind. There's so many things that people have said about God that are just simply not true. They're simply projecting man's problems onto God. So we need to take what the Word has said about him and put that as our standard of how we treat God. But then there's also, when it comes to the knowledge of God... There's knowing what he knows. That would be the knowledge of God. I would like to know what he knows because he knows a lot more than me. I just saw some beautiful pictures of Jupiter from a recent flyover that they did. And just how beautiful it was. It was amazing. And to think, God put that there and for the last thousands and thousands of years, no one has ever seen it. He knew what it looked like long before we ever got there. Think about the planets that are outside our solar system that we haven't even reached and the beauty that could be on them. He knows stuff you don't know. Yeah. I'd like to know a little bit about what he knows about here on Earth and about my existence here and my walk throughout my days. I want to know what he knows about me. And so when we talk about the knowledge of God, this is really where we should be focusing on. I want to know what he knows because when you know what someone else's know, you can walk in what they've walked. And God is not looking for people who are, who are weak, who are broken. He's looking for people to walk like Him. Yeah. Do you want your kids sick? No. Do you want your children broke? No. Neither does God the Father. 
called him a father for a reason. And it says in Matthew that if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father, daddy God. You know, there's the whole meme series going on on Instagram right now about how much people hate when people say daddy God. But that's what he is. He is the father. He sent his son Jesus, who is your brother. It says he is the firstborn among many brethren. I don't know. There's a lot of people right now that call their dog their family or their cat their family. They are not in your class. When God called you his son, he raised you up and put you in that class. Class of children. His offspring. The firstborn among many brethren was Jesus. I don't mind being the millionth or whatever. I'm still God's kid. But we have a responsibility to the knowledge that we receive. Oh, they all get quiet. Nobody likes that word responsibility because they think work. But do you know it's your response ability? Basically, what the word responsibility means is how you respond to what you now know. So what did you just learn about God and now what are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit there and go, oh, that was nice. You know, church is not a time for us to come and mentally assent and saying, oh, that was a great message, Pastor Jordan. No, we should, anytime the word is presented before us, we should say, what was the Holy Spirit trying to say to me this morning? What do I need to course correct? What do I need to reinforce? What do I need to put a little fuel behind and get it burning again? When we have the word before us, it should be a reflection. This is what I'm supposed to look like. Let's go ahead and put that coat on just like God has put it on for me. You know, we have a responsibility. You have the ability to respond, but God will never force you to do so. You can listen to a million of my messages and do nothing with them and stay the same. It's all about you taking hold with God, and he will walk you into these things that we're about to talk in this series. We see this reflected in Hebrews chapter 11, which is, they call it the hall of faith. And basically it's somebody heard something from God and did something. And we see that here in verse 7 of chapter 11. It says, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteous of the believing world. Or the rightness, sorry. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. Meaning he had a close relationship with God. And how did it begin? God told Noah something and he did it. What a novel concept. <laughs> Noah, can you come talk to my kids? <laughs> I shouldn't have to tell you more than once, Harrison. <laughs> I think I said that three times this morning. <laughs> but Noah heard something from God, and he responded to it. And you've got to understand, he'd never seen rain. Yeah. He built a boat, and he'd never been on the water. It says, in the middle of dry land. Sometimes what God knows doesn't make sense to your head at the moment. Those years that Noah was building and building and building, I'm sure his kids were like, God or Dad, why are we building a boat? Why do we need a boat? There's no water here. But I guarantee you on the day the rain started, Noah was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Dancing a little jig. 
I'm not the crazy one, because that's what they were all calling him for a hundred years. Verse 8 says, by an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. <laughs> I was going to say something. <laughs> by, the, by an act of faith, he lived in the country promised to him. He lived as a stranger camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. So when Abraham left, God just said go, and he got up and went. God told him something, something was revealed to him, and he responded to it. That's what we do when we see the knowledge of God in Scripture. That's what we do when the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. When he encourages us into something, we get up and we go, and we are blessed in doing it. Abraham, we don't know what his lifestyle was before, but we knew, know a few years down the road, he didn't have enough room for all his stuff. The fields couldn't contain all his animals. And it said that he was very wealthy. Wealthy wasn't enough of an adjective. It was very wealthy. And so when we respond to the knowledge of God, we walk into the blessings of God. So the series we're going to be starting on now is called Make Him Known. In Psalm 105.1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. How many of you know you can't make known something you've never known because it would be an unknown? <laughs> That's true. It says, make known His deeds among the people. This was the, the call of King David. Let everybody know how good God is. Yeah. David was a blessed man. You know that when it came time to set, a, set things in, in motion to build the temple, you know how much David gave? Five billion dollars. Of the 13 billion that built the temple, the first temple, David gave five from his first treasury. But we talk about Solomon being the rich one. David was the giver. And I believe the seed that David put in the ground was, came Solomon's harvest. Just a sad thought. But it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. God is wanting people to see His good works in you. And you walk in those good works by understanding what He knows and knowing who you can trust in Him. And so I want to take this series over into Ephesians chapter 1. Now, it would be very beneficial to you during this series if you would read Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Go ahead and take a look at it. We just can't cover all of that material, so I'm going to be pulling out. But it's just, the book of Ephesians is just so awesome and beneficial to you as a believer. And it starts off in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So who is Paul writing to? He's writing to believers at Ephesus and the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not just a local message. It's not just to Ephesus. It's to those who are of the faithful, meaning other believers. And he says this as he always starts his books Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
There he is, Daddy God and Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, everyone say this word with me, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a stellar way for Paul to start his message. He said, God, who is the blessed one, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Meaning he didn't leave any out. Isn't that what every means? Means all in its entirety, the full collection. Gave it all. Every blessing of heaven has been poured into your life. Well, Pastor Jordan, that's over there in heaven. I, I just happen to live down here on earth. I'm pretty sure Jesus' prayer, when the disciples said, how do we pray, Jesus? He said, your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we've got to be careful. We've made that into a, very, uh, a religious oath. You know, I, I've always, whenever I'd go into a traditional church and be like, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day. I, and I'd always think of, if, if any of you ever watched Star Trek, I think of the Borg when they all talk in unison. <laughs> we are the Borg. Resistance is futile. It's just like, it's so mechanical. That was not a mechanical prayer just to be recited in the, in the subconsciousness of our brain. You can do it without thinking. You've probably heard it so many times. It was Jesus trying to show his heart before his disciples. He's saying, God wants this stuff here to be used here. Forgive everyone. That's, that's really the entirety of the prayer. God took his stuff. He gave it to you. God is good. Forgive people. We could preach on that right there. But he said he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places. It's been poured out to you. And verse 4 says, just as. What does just as mean? It means in the same way. So he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame and before him in love. Basically, he's summing up salvation. So the way he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing is just in the same way that he saved you. People don't often question salvation, but they question blessing. Oh, God doesn't, know, God doesn't want that. Oh, no, no, no. But he says, well, he's blessed you just as or in the same way he saved you. So just as sure as your salvation is just as sure as his blessing. They're both in the same category, according to Paul. Yeah. That's right. I digress. We go down to verse 15, and Paul, really, verse 5 through verse 14 are just, whew, go ahead and read them tonight whenever you get a chance. He's just, man, Paul starts out on fire in this message that he's presented. And then he gets to verse 15, and he just starts to pray for them. Paul is notorious for writing run-on sentences. He's like, oh, and then this, 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 and this. Oh, and then God, I thank you for this. And then he goes right back, and then this, and then this, and this. He just goes and goes and goes, and an English teacher would hate him. <laughs> and we have to understand that there was no chapters and there was no verses when Paul wrote this. He was writing a letter to people that he knew. So we need to read them like a letter and not chop them up. Sometimes adding the verses in has done more harm than good because it's separated thoughts. And so people read half a thought out of context with another thought. And so basically chapter 1 
through three is one thought of Paul. And so in the first part of his thought, here in verse 15, he just begins to pray. And he says, therefore, or because of the blessings that God has poured out upon you guys here at Ephesus and all the believers who are reading this, because of those blessings, he said, also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's like, guys, I'm praying for you. I'm holding you up as much as I can, as often as I think about it, I'm praying. And then he decides to tell them what he's praying for them. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the, everyone say it with me, knowledge of Him. So the thing that Paul is praying, he said, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of God. Isn't that what we're talking about? We want, Paul's prayer for them was that they would see the same thing that I'm trying to get across to you in this series. I want you to see what God knows about you. I want you to see what God has established as your boundaries, which are his boundaries, which do not exist. It says you can think about how far he goes this way, and how far he goes this way, and how far he goes this way, and far he goes this way, and then you'll realize you'll never find them. So he said he wants God to give them the spirit of wisdom. Now he's not talking about giving them the ghost of wisdom. You only need one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. But when you think about the way we use that word spirit, you ever heard of, that, heard of somebody refer to it as a horse? Oh, that's just a spirited animal. What is it meaning? It's got something in its mind that it wants to do, and it's determined to do it. God is wanting you to get a little bit of a determination to search and find out what he has said about you. He's wanting you to get a little determination about what wisdom he's given you, what revelation he's wanting to reveal to you about the knowledge of God. He's wanting you to get a little tenacity you know, when we refer to faith, a lot of people call it bulldog tenacity. Why is that? Because a bulldog will lock its jaw onto a bone, and you can lift that sucker up off the floor, and it's like, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. When it comes to the knowledge of God, you grab hold, and you don't let go. You let a little tenacity. You can try and rip that bone out of that dog's mouth, but he's saying, I'm not letting go. You know, the world will try and shake things off of your life, and you say, I'm, I won't let go. I'm holding on to God. I'm holding on to what he said about me. I'm holding on to what I know about him. I will not let go. So his first thing he said, may God give you the spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge plus understanding. There's knowing something, but then there's the understanding of how to use it. Two weeks ago, I said, I know the mechanics, the idea behind flight, but you don't want me to fly your plane because I don't know how to under, I don't understand how to apply that. But thank God, pilots do, and they practice, and they train so that they know what this lever does. I just know you add thrust and lift, and you go. That's not an adequate, that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. But God is wanting you to, have a not, want, wanting you to know what he knows, and he's wanting you to have an understanding. He's wanting you to be able to apply it. That is our responsibility. We respond. And the second thing he said is he wants to give you the spirit of revelation. Now the word revelation means to lay bare or to disclose the truth. And it's the Greek word for apocalypsis, which does not mean the end of the world. The word apocalypsis means basically something that was hidden was disclosed 
to you. So you can have wisdom and understanding, but not see where it needs to be applied. Revelation opens that up so that you can see, oh, take the knowledge, apply it here, nothing's hidden. And so he says this in the Amplified. It says it a little bit differently. It says, The spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of God. The Message Bible says this, To make you intelligent and discerning in know him, knowing him personally. God wants to make you smarter. Everybody hit your neighbor and say, He's talking about you. God is wanting to make you smarter. That's what he did to the disciples. It said that they recognized they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they'd been with Jesus. Man. So he wants to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him. Then he says this in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Light bulb. (laughs) That's what he's saying. You know, light is a wonderful thing. It changes your perspective. It shows you what you were missing out on, right? You know, last Saturday, Harrison and Bennett really like watching dinosaur movies. And so they've watched the original Jurassic Park and, you know, they've watched the the newest one, Jurassic World. And we were going, we decided, okay, let's watch you watch Jurassic World 2. And so it was at night. It's dark out, dark in the room. And the Indoraptor is creeping around through and it's like Bennett's like (gasps) and all of a sudden like it pops out and he goes he's like I'm not scared it was just my leg jumping (laughs) and so about halfway through we shut it off and Harrison's like no I want to watch it I'm like no it's just too scary for you guys right now so the next day in the middle of the day the light shining through the windows the lights on in the house you can see everything you know what they did not find it scary at all Light will change your perspective. It'll cast off fears that you never really should have had in the, per- the, main, the first place. Mm-hmm. You need to turn a little light on. Mm-hmm. And having the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you turns on the light. Yeah. This is the Passion Translation. I love how it says it. It says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience Full revelation. I love that, that it opens the eyes of your imagination. You realize that we have a generation that doesn't know how to dream? We have a generation that doesn't know how to use their imagination anymore? We think that's stuff for kids. No, you need to be able to dream. God will inspire your imagination to have concepts and ideas that everyone else has written off. And it's so many kids today just sit there and receive whatever they're seeing, rather than learning to project and to create. God is wanting to get your creativity back. We should have never given it up as children. He's wanting to inspire your imagination. He's wanting to flood you with light. Back to verse 18 in the New King James, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that. So there's a reason, that. When you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, something happens. You begin to see something. The reason why he illuminated you is so that you can see this, what he's about to say. 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know what he has called you to, what he has provided for you, what he has left for you as his children. He wants you to have hope in that. Hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. Good things to come. And so many people are dreading tomorrow because they have a negative expectation. God is wanting to fill you with a good expectation of what's to come because of what he's called you to. He's, it's, this can be applied to the work that he's called you to. And when we were talking about serving grace, but this can also call, refer to the lifestyle he has called you to. The provision he has called you to. The new way of thinking he has called you to. He wants your eyes to go bump bump. God, I see it and I will walk in it. The New Living says that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. You can have a confident hope, not just a hope. What is confidence? You know, people are confident. I'll dare me to do it and I'll go ahead and do it. I'm pretty confident in my ability. Well, you know what? Get confident in God's ability. Have a confident hope of what's coming tomorrow. Tomorrow is a good day for me. It's a good day for my business. It's a good day for my family. It's a good day for opportunities. It's a good day for my health. Having a confident expectation of the good things that come. And so the first thing he wanted you to see is that hope of his calling. The second thing was what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Oh, come on, people. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. What is an inheritance? If you've got a rich old granny and she puts you in her will and says, I'm giving it all to you. I'm leaving it to you. That is an inheritance. What happens? She dies. They give it to you. What is the Bible? It is split up into two halves. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Most people don't think anything of those words. You ever know that it's called the last will and testament? When you write a will, you have God's old will, and you have his new will. Now, when does a will come in force? When someone dies. Who died for you? Jesus! He did! The will was given. It was come into force. And as he, God wants you to know, it was the thing that Paul was praying for them, that you would see, your eyes would be opened, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance that he's given to his saints, to his children. God is not wanting you just to be like, oh, it's a good day to be alive. He's wanting you to say, no, my daddy, he provided for me. I'm going to use it. I'm going to walk in it. What happens when your old granny dies? You go, you sign the paperwork, and you withdraw. And so many Christians are failing to understand how to withdraw from what God has provided for us. It takes faith. Hallelujah. Religion will try and rob you of this. You want to know how I know? I like to read the Bible in multiple translations from multiple different backgrounds to see their perspective on it. And you'll find that the more religious-minded people, they try to change some things. Here in the New Living Translation, it says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope, so they left the confident hope part in, that he has given to those he's called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So they changed it so rather than 
Paul wanting you to see what the inheritance God has given you, they change it to say, oh, you are God's inheritance. That's not what the Greek says at all. The Greek, you are the focus. Here they translated that God is the focus because they were unwilling to receive what God was saying about them. We need to understand that. There's sometimes by the way we've been raised will kind of hold us back from the blessings God has poured out because we're like, oh, no, no, that just couldn't be. That just can't be. You know, we see this in other parts in the Bible too. In David, he said, what God, what, what, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you think of me? And it says, you have made him a little lower. And then all the translations used to say, they've now corrected this for the most part, used to say you have made man a little bit lower than the angels. But the word in the Hebrew was never angels. It was the word Elohim, which is the plural name of God. So David literally said, what is man that you're thinking of him, God? You've made him just a little bit lower than you. But the translators originally looked at it and said, that just can't be. And so they changed it to angels. That they think God, angels, and then maybe somewhere down here, humanity. Uh, The book of Hebrews says... Aren't angels just ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto those who are heirs of salvation? Angels are the slaves. You are not a slave. You the kid. God, you, then the angels somewhere down here. They're here to do your bidding, to do God's bidding. They're the workers. We're the receivers. So the New Living tried to change it here that we are God's inheritance, but that's not what it said. It says in in the, the... New King James, it says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? There's something that God has transferred to you. And you want to know how we know that this has been messed around with? Because you look at what Paul was talking about just before he prayed this. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Mm-hmm. You know, they tried to change that verse too. If you read in the NIV, it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to, with the purpose of his will. And there's nothing about inheritance there. But you notice there's a little five Beside it, that's because there's a notation in my book, in my Bible. If you press that, it then redirects you and says, also he's given you an inheritance. They cut it out and made it a footnote. That's why you got to have a broader perspective. Don't take my word for things. I really encourage you, download Blue Letter Bible. It's an app, or you can go to blueletterbible.org. You can go and check out what the Greek says for yourself. You look up the verse, you press the interlinear, it shows you all the words, you press the word, it tells you what it means. Don't take my word for it. Don't take any minister's word for it. Yes, you should have some confidence and trust in me that I've done my research and I'm I'm preaching the right things, and if I screw up, I'll let you know. Or my wife will. (laughs) But have a broader perspective. Look at what the word actually said about you. And so it says, verse 13, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance. Mm -hmm. You need to know what God has left you. And that's what Paul was praying for the Ephesians. Turn the lights on, guys. Receive the wisdom of God so you'll know what he's called you to. You'll know what his inheritance is. Those were the first two. But then the third thing he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Amplified says it great. It says, and so that you can know and understand, again, that's wisdom, knowledge, understanding, together, wisdom, what is the unmeasurable, the limited, and the surpassing greatness of his power in us and for us. God is wanting his power to be released in you and for you. Whew. As demonstrated, as demonstrated, so the power that he wants to show in you and through you and for you and all those things has been demonstrated. It says, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which, so he's telling you when it happened, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power he's wanting to flow in you and through you is the same power that split the grave, pulled Jesus out, and raised him on high. You ever lick a nine volt? That's not the power he's talking about. Go ahead and stick a fork in the 115. I won't say the 220 because I don't want anybody to do anything stupid. We're not talking about a little power. This is the power that split the grave, and that's the power he's wanting you to have your eyes go, bump, da da I see it, God. That's what you want to flow through me. Yes. Says he, when he exerted it in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, he seated him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, every, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age, but in the world, but also the age which is to come. I'm losing my words here. Verse 22, he says, and he has put all things under his feet and appointed him to be the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercise throughout the church. Let me ask you something. He says that he's the head and it calls the church his body. Where are the feet? At the bottom. And it says that the power that he exerted raised Christ far above. So we have a perspective issue sometimes. We see the problems going on around us and we go, oh, wow. You know, what happens when you magnify something? Say it, say it, say it aloud. It seems, it seems Jess has it right. It seems bigger. Magnifying something doesn't make it bigger, just makes it look bigger. When you magnify your problems, yeah, That's how you get them on top of you because you're like, they're so huge. And really, the problem is just like, no, I'm just making it look that way. Really, I'm so tiny. Please don't step and squash me. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Says the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body, you're the body, right? In that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself that's the power but you know what he wasn't done there because of those run-on sentences that he likes to just blabber on with kind of like this message going and going and going and going (laughs) 
He continues right into chapter 2. And he says, And you he made alive! He made alive. It's the power that made you alive. It took you out of darkness and put you into light. It changed your destination. It changed your nature. It says we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. So the power did something in Jesus. It did something in you, and it didn't leave you. Paul wants you to see that he wants to work in you and through you with that same exceedingly immeasurable, surpassing greatness of his power. Hallelujah. Whew. <laughs> God is just so good. This is just the tip of the iceberg of what Paul talks about in the knowledge of God. This is just the tip of the iceberg. These things should excite us as Christians yes. because it's supposed to change our perspective. Right. It's supposed to change how we look at the world, how we look at problems. Problems are not problems to you at all. Circumstances are always subject to change. God is wanting to transform your life yeah. with the knowledge of Him. That's right. And so He wants to do a little working on our responsibility. Amen? So, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your knowledge that you're just constantly going to continue showing us more and more. And that's the beauty of eternity is that when we think we've got the corner marketed, you show us something more. And so, Holy Spirit, we just go ahead and pray just as Paul prayed that you give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, Lord. That we would know what is the hope of our calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe. Father, I know this is just the beginning for these people right here before me. Holy Spirit, I know that you're going to continue to stir. I release you to do that now. Show them dreams. Show them visions. Illuminate their eyes. In Jesus' name, I release that. Whew, hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We choose to honor your word this morning. We choose to receive your word and to let it be engrafted into our lives. Oh, go ahead and say this with me. I have new eyes. I, have new eyes. I, see. I see. The lights are on. Thank you, Lord. Give him praise for in here. Father, we thank you. We give you glory, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We give you praise in this place, Lord. For you are worthy. So worthy. So worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. Oh, Jesus. We praise your name. Yes, we praise your name forever, Lord. Oh, people. It's a new day dawning for you. It doesn't have to be as it's been. Things change when eyes get opened. Things change. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you're just, you're just gearing up. This is just first gear today. There's a whole lot of more gears that we're going to hit. Whew. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship and enjoy that sunshine. Woohoo!